you, Jesus. Lord, we thank you that you are here today, that you are in our midst. Lord, not because of what we deserve, but because of who you are. Oh, Jesus, we thank you for loving us first. We thank you for pursuing us. take your presence for granted. Lord, being able to come boldly to you today, the King of Kings, the Lord of Lords, creator of the universe, And yet you say for us to call you friend. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Jesus. We worship you today. And everyone said, Amen. 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 Well, you may be seated. Thank you so much, team. Jeff for leading us so beautifully this morning. You know, there is nothing, is there, like being in the presence of Jesus. And sometimes I just get overwhelmed. You know, you're just like, oh gosh, he keeps blowing my mind all the time. And it doesn't matter how long you've been a follower of Jesus, whether it's a day or whether it's 20, 30, 50 years. There's always that same excitement, isn't there? There's always that thing. You're like, gosh, God, this is, there's something new in God that we discover all the time. And you know, last week I started talking to us, and I'm going to continue today, just around what it means to be a follower of Jesus. You know, last week we looked at the fact that, you know, because of the world in which we live in, we're able to follow people at the click of a button through social media. We're able to observe their lives, what they're up to, everything that's going on. And you know, for sometimes we think that that's what following Jesus is all about. We look at the way that we follow people and we think that that's how Jesus wants us to follow him. But do you know there's a big difference and we looked at this last week between being a fan and being a follower. You know often the way that we treat people that we like to find out more about is more about being a fan and the big difference between being a fan and a follower is really down to loyalty and commitment. A fan wants to know about 
about somebody. They want to find out everything about them and they'll follow them in the good times or when their interest is peaked. But you know, if things don't go well or you decide you don't like what they say or you decide actually I like this person a bit better, you just stop following them and you go on to somebody else. But that's not what Jesus asks of us when he invites us to be his followers. You see, Jesus never asked a crowd to become his fans. He's not looking for fans. He is looking for followers. And it's a scary situation that we find ourselves in in the world today. In a recent study conducted um, in America for an author that was writing a book called Follower or Fan, his study showed that 75 5% of Christians said that they would class themselves as fans of Jesus rather than followers. And that's a scary thing because we, a fan wants to be close enough to be associated with. They want to receive all the benefits. But when God or when Jesus speaks and asks us to do something that we don't want to do, a fan says, actually, not for me. And we looked at that last week, didn't we? We looked at the crowd when they came and when Jesus fed the 5,000 and he said to them the next day when they came to him, said, feed us some more bread. And he said, no, I'm not feeding you again. I'm the bread of life. I'm what you need. And it said many left him that day. They didn't get what they wanted when they wanted it. And so they left. And last week we began looking at what it means to be a follower of Jesus. And it's an exciting path that we get to journey on when we follow and place our faith and trust in Jesus. We looked last week at the fact that the reason that we follow Jesus, first of all, is based out of love. It's a relationship that's based on love. Jesus gave his life for us. And it's that that causes us to love him. He's not a taskmaster. He's not an authoritarian. He's not a dictator. Jesus, he demonstrated his love for you and I by placing and taking the first step. And that is the basis from which we follow Jesus. It is a great and immense love for us. Last week, we also looked at the fact that when we follow Jesus, we are not alone. The Holy Spirit has been sent to us to be our friend. Jesus sent him so that we would never journey on our path of following Jesus alone, that we would always have somebody with us. Yes, our friends may leave us. Yes, we may have to make decisions concerning our friendships, our family. Maybe the journey looks physically around us to be on our own. But Jesus promises that we will never be alone, that he has sent the Holy Spirit to us. And we also looked last week at the fact that when we're following Jesus, we expect to see transformation and change in our lives. We look at what God does. He says that we become new creations. The old has gone and the new has come. And we looked at that last week and what that means for us. And it means a change. We will not, we're not who we were. When we place our faith and trust in Jesus, we become different people and we become and take on the nature of Jesus himself and it's so exciting. So we looked at those aspects last week. We then went on to have a look and begin looking at five qualities 
that we can see in the lives of people that follow Jesus. And we started looking at five instances in the Bible where we see people that were following Jesus and we see this statement, one thing, this one thing. And we began exploring what this one thing was in the lives of two people in the Bible last week. Firstly, we looked at the life of Paul. And in Philippians 3.19, Paul says, this one thing, forgetting what is past, I press on towards the future to the goal. We looked at that quality of focus that comes as a result of us finding Jesus. And that focus that actually says, do you know what? A line has been drawn in the sand. This is my old life. But the Bible says that I'm to forget this old life and I am stepping in to a newness of life and I am pressing on towards the goal for which Christ has called me towards. So we looked at the quality of focus and the importance of us having to daily make decisions to forget those things that are behind and to focus on the path ahead of us. We also looked last week at the fact that when we are followers, we will have conviction. We've tasted for ourselves of the goodness of God. And we looked at the story of the blind man that Jesus healed. The man, remember where Jesus spat in the mud and he made a little patty and he stuck it in his eyes and he healed that man that had been blind from birth. And the people around him saw what had happened and they took him to the Pharisees. And the Pharisees were so angry at what Jesus had done and they were desperately trying to catch this man out and they wanted to try and trap Jesus in what he had done because he'd, he'd healed this man on the Sabbath and they were so cross. And they started to question him, question him. They didn't actually even believe that he'd been blind from birth. They called his parents and they were like, was he blind from birth? They're like, yeah. And then they're like, we'll speak to him. So the blind man says this. He says, this one thing I know. I was once blind, but now I see. When we're a follower of Jesus, we have conviction. This man, when he was questioned by the Pharisees, he'd had a brief encounter with Jesus. He didn't know much about him, but he had confidence in what he did know. He'd experienced for himself the goodness of God. And we looked last week at the fact that we all have a testimony. We all have a testimony of what what God has done in our lives and we have a conviction that we can share with other people so we never need to go to people feeling downcast or feeling like I can't tell them about Jesus because I don't know everything about the Bible no we can be like this man that ended up seeing and we can say do you know what I may not know the answer to your question but let me tell you what God has done in my life let me tell you how I have seen the tangible difference in my life I was once blind, but now I see. And the Bible says in Revelation that we overcome the devil by the blood of the lamb, by what Jesus has done for us, and by the word of our testimony. So we were encouraged last week to know as followers of Jesus, we want to let people know what our testimony is. Let people know that God is just not a God that is trapped within the words of a Bible, that God is real, 
and that he gives us real encounters and real experience and we see real change in our lives as a result of following him. So those are the first two characters that we looked at. We're now going to carry on to look at the remaining three characters and we're going to begin firstly by looking at the life of David. But before we do that, I want to ask us all a question. If God was to answer your request for one thing, what would be the thing that you would ask God for? If he said, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give you what you ask for today, what is it that you want? What would that question be? What would the answer be? Maybe it would be money in the bank, paying off your mortgage. Maybe it would be security for your future. Perhaps you may think, actually, I really would love to be healed. Maybe you think about your children and you think, oh, do you know what? I really love my children to have a good life. What would be the thing that you would ask God for if he said he would grant you anything? You know, when we look in the book of Psalms, David, King David, knew what he wanted to ask God for. And this is what it says in Psalm 27, verse 4. One thing, one thing I have asked of the Lord. And that I seek. That I may dwell in the house of the Lord, in his presence, all the days of my life, to gaze upon the beauty, the delightful loveliness and majestic grandeur of the Lord, and to meditate in his temple. You know, David's one thing, thank you so much. Ah, <laughs> oh, thank you. Gosh, he gets me. Do you know what? Jesus gets me all the time. I just get overwhelmed with him. Overwhelmed about the goodness of God and who he is. David had one desire. And that he wanted to spend all his time in the presence of the Lord. And what a wonderful quality that that is for us as believers to have. We can relate to that ourselves, can't we? Because when you love somebody so much, you just want to be with them all the time. You just want to be in their presence all the time. And that was David's desire, was to abide in God's presence, delighting in and meditating in the Lord. Why? Why did David have that desire? Because he'd experienced and tasted for himself the goodness of God. And he realized that God's in God's presence, his presence surpassed anything that this world had to offer. You think about it. 
King David was exposed to all the wealth, the riches and opulence that the world had to offer. David would have lived in the biggest house in town. Yet David doesn't say that that's where he wants to spend all of his time. He doesn't say, I want to be in my palace surrounded by all the luxuries that life has to offer me. But no, he says, Lord, I don't want to be in my house. I want to be in your house. I want to not just pop in there for a brief visit. He says, I want to dwell. I want to live in your house. Because he knew that that was just amazing. What he would receive being in God's house was incomparable to what he would find anywhere else in life. David said he wanted to experience his presence. And everything else paled into insignificance when he gazed at the beauty of his God. In 1918, Helen Lamel, an accomplished songwriter and hymnist, penned the words to a song called The Heavenly Vision. And I'm sure we're all familiar with the words of this song. Turn your eyes. Turn your eyes upon Jesus. Look full in his wonderful face. And the things of this world will grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace. David had tasted of the goodness of God. Sometimes we just strive after things that mean nothing. We get so caught up with it and we think it's everything. And it's nothing. It's nothing compared to what Jesus gives us. And I think a big key to this desire is found in the opening statement of those verses. Where he says, this one thing I ask for. One thing I seek, you know, we're familiar with that term, actually, when we look at the New Testament in Matthew 7, what does it say? Jesus says, ask and it shall be given to you. Seek and you shall find. There is unsearchable riches that are to be found in pursuing Jesus. And sometimes they are hidden in plain view. Like David, God, God has this banqueting table for us. But it requires, if we want to really begin to tap into everything that God has for us, he says that we've got to ask, we've got to begin looking, we've got to search for it. And we will continue to discover more and more and more and more treasure as we pursue the things of God, as we desperately want to be in God's presence, we will be overwhelmed. You know, David, he had passion for God. He had passion to know all that he could find out about God. He wasn't just happy knowing a little bit. 
He wanted to know all that there was to know. He wanted to taste. He wanted to see everything. He just wanted to be consumed by his God. You know, God for David wasn't a bolt-on. He wasn't somebody that he just wrangled into the schedule when there was time. No, for David, God was number one. He took center stage and that was what he was consumed with. That was what his desire was. And it's known that the Bible says that David was a man after God's own heart. I wonder why. It's probably a lot to do with his desire and passion to want to know God more, to want to be with him. David loved God with all his heart, mind, soul, and strength. And that's what, as a follower of Jesus, our relationship is to be like, to have this deep desire to want to know more, to want to experience the whole fullness of God. You know, we can search for a lifetime, 70, 80 years, and we'll never exhaust what God can show us. We'll never exhaust the richness, the riches that we'll find. We'll just keep on tapping and tapping to those amazing things that God has for us. So how does this practically look like in our lives as followers? How can we dwell? How can we meditate? How can we gaze on his beauty? Well, practically, his word is, becomes a priority for us. Because when we read the word of God, we're discovering more about who God is. God reveals himself through his written word to us. And as we read, we begin to encounter more about the nature of God, more about the character of God. And we see the God in whom we serve. And then we take time to spend time to meditate on that, to spending time in his presence to worship him. For us, to pray. All of these things are practical, but these are the things that we do. And, and you'd be amazed as we take time in our day. Sometimes it's the quiet place, but God doesn't say stop talking to me when you have to do something because God knows we all got to do. We can't just stop our lives. We all have to do things. The beautiful thing about our relationship with God is we can be talking to Jesus. We can be praying. We can be in constant communication with God during our days. But it's all about God consciousness. You know, when God is consciously on your mind all the time because you just love him so much. And that's what we see in the life of David, this deep desire and this deep passion of him, of his, to just want to know more about God. And I think that is a hallmark for every follower of Jesus, that desire to want to be in his presence. We're now going to look at two other characters found in the New Testament. And we're going to again look at this one thing that is mentioned. But interestingly, on these next two people that we're going to look at, they're not actually the ones talking about the one thing. But it's Jesus that's talking about the one thing for their lives. I'm just going to blow my nose a minute because it's... Um I've tried to like wipe my eyes on that while I'm talking. I'm like, haven't been able to do a good enough job. I've got, I'm dripping everywhere. Anyway, 
So we are going to look at the next character. And before we do, again, I want to ask us a question. How many of us like to be in control of things? Whether it's the remote control, whether it's who gets to decide what we're eating for tea, whether it's getting to choose what you are going to wear. You want to choose it. You don't want anyone else to choose it. Where are you going to go? And actually, we all struggled with that, didn't we, during lockdown? Because all of a sudden, somebody else was telling us what we had to do. And we didn't like it, did we? I know I didn't like it. I, I don't think I've ever exercised so much in my life. And it was all because they said, well, you can do a little bit. I was like, right, well, I'm going to do this then. I'm going to make the most of this. I, I've stopped walking quite so much since um, lockdown has finished. But we like to be contra in control. We like to have our own way. But when we become followers of Jesus, Jesus, this all changes. It's not about us always getting our own way now and being in control. All of a sudden, God dwells in us and he says, actually, let's think about what you think about. Let's think about the way you speak to others. Let's think about the way you treat yourself and you treat others. Let's think about your actions. All of a sudden, God says, actually, I don't want you to be in control of everything. And we're like, oh, that's a bit tough. But do you know what? I love that we get to follow the example of Jesus. He role models what this life of a follower looks like for us. This is what it says in Mark 14, 36. Jesus speaking. Yeah, I want your will to be done, not mine. A hallmark, another hallmark of a follower of Jesus is obedience. And already we get, you know, a bit tense at the thought of it because nobody likes that, do we? This is what John 14, 15 says. If you love me, obey my commands. And later on in that same chapter in verse 23, it says this. Jesus replied, all who love me will do what I say. My father will love them and he will come and make our home with each of them. And remember, who doesn't, any, anyone who doesn't love me will not obey me. And remember, my words are not my own. What I'm telling you is from the father who sent me. So Jesus is saying, if we are followers of him and we love him, we'll obey him. And the way he'll know whether we're a follower or not, or whether we love him or not, is based on our obedience. Because those who don't love him don't obey him. But those who do love him do obey him. That's what it says. Anyone who doesn't love me will not obey me. And I don't know about you, but I think human nature from the beginning, because of sin, we struggle with this whole idea of obedience. But the thing is that we've got to understand as followers of Jesus is that we're not following another flawed human being. We're not following the flaws of another person because there's only one person that's ever been perfect, and that is Jesus. And we've got to remember who we're following. We are following perfection. We are following a God who is kind and loving, and there is no sin in him. And we are following him, and he is a loving father who wants the best for us. And he has a plan. And his plan is to conform us to his image. He knows the beginning from the end. 
So when he asks us to do something, we need to obey because it's actually going to be beneficial for us. That's why we do it. It's either going to be beneficial for us in this life or it's going to be beneficial for us in the life to come. And the thing about obedience is that we've just got to do it. So when God asks us to do something, sometimes we're not going to have the warm, fuzzy feelings associated with it. So does that mean that we don't obey if we don't feel good about it? No. Just so we all understand about obedience. Obedience is a decision. Obedience is not based on emotion. So we just need to kind of suck it up and say, actually, God, if you ask me to do something, I may not feel like I'm warm and fuzzy. I may not think, oh, yay, I'm really excited about this. But actually, because I love you, I am going to do this. This is a decision and I'm not relying on my feelings in order to follow through and obey. I'm going to do this because I love you and you've asked me to do this for you. So how do we know what to obey? Well, I've mentioned it earlier, but God isn't silent concerning our lives. He's fully invested in seeing our lives flourish. And the Bible is God's love letter to us. And through his word, he will speak to us about our words, about our thoughts, about our actions, about how we should prioritize our lives, about the things that we need to class as important and the things that we need to leave behind. The Bible, the word of God covers it all. And then in addition to that, we've been promised the Holy Spirit to be our guider and our helper, the one who will instruct us and lead us as well. And for us, the key to entering into all that God wants for us as believers is not just to listen or read the word of God, listen to the Holy Spirit, but it's to go a step further. It's to actually do what we've heard, do what we've read. That's what it says in James, isn't it? Be doers of the word, not just hearers only. It's not about head knowledge, it's about this actually being feet on the ground. What does this look like for my life each day? And if I look at my own life, there's sometimes where I've been okay and I've obeyed. I've, I'm like, yeah, I'll submit to you in this area. And there's other times I've really struggled and I've counted the cost of not obeying. I remember when I started going out with Dave, um, prior to that, I was just like a little busybody. Um, we met when I was 19, 19, 20. Anyway, um, I had looked at Dave from a distance for years, mind it's fair to say. But he talked to me. He talked to me about 23 years ago for the first time. <laughs> so anyway, because I, before he had talked to me, I was involved in everything in church life. Loved it, loved it, loved it. I was out six nights a week. Everything was great. I was single. I was able to do it. I was young. All was good. And then I met Dave and he asked me to go for coffee. And I was super excited about that. And anyway, so then we started going out and I felt the Holy Spirit say to me, Faye, you need to let go of things. And I was like, no. I was like, Lord, I really like doing all the things that I'm doing. I'm in the youth. I'm in, I'm in, I'm in loads of stuff. I, was in, I just loved it. I just loved being a part of church, doing all these things. I had the time for it. I just loved it. And I was like, oh, no, I'm not going to stop because I really enjoy it. And felt the Holy Spirit say, Faye, 
You can't keep on like this. You need to give things up. The thing was, because I was out six nights a week, the time that I got to see Dave was actually when I finished doing what we were doing. So that was normally like 9.30, 10 o'clock at night. So I'd meet Dave at 10 o'clock at night. Thank the Lord for curry houses because they're open really late. So the amount of curries that we ate when we first started going out was unbelievable because they were one of the places that were open. So I'd go out, meet Dave, then I'd get home, I don't know, gone midnight, and then I'd needed to be in work for seven the next day. So I ran like this for a few months. Holy Spirit, Faye, you need to, you need to stop, you need to just kind of realign. And I wouldn't. And in the end, I got really ill. And I ended up with glandular fever. And I ended up not working for three months. And it took me 18 months to be able to build back my strength, to be able to go back to work full time. And do you know what? Why did that happen? God was actually saying, Faye, Faye, I, this is not good. I can see where this is going. You can't keep on running like that. But in my mind, I was doing good things. I wasn't sinning. I was actually doing great things, but the Holy Spirit had spoken because he cared for me and he knew what was ahead and he knew that I couldn't carry on. I couldn't see that. So I did things my way and I got really ill as a result of it. My fault, my fault. And I learned a really hard lesson then. But actually a lesson, you know, again, 20, a great lesson to lead me into my future. When God speaks, obey, Faye, obey. He's got, he loves you. He's invested in you. He wants the best for you. So I want to encourage you from my own mistakes. You know, God sometimes asks us to start things or stop them. And we, he does it for our own good. We need to listen. There's other times that God can see that there are other things that we are holding in higher regard than God himself. Maybe it's possessions, maybe it's position, it could be power, it could be a person, it could be your passion. And he can see that thing is taking higher priority on your life than what it should. It's being placed higher than God himself. And there's times where God will say, okay, stop that. And because our focus needs adjusting, because he doesn't want to be second place in our lives. And this is what we're going to read about in an account um, that we find Jesus speaking about. And he says about the one thing that needs to be done. So one day, a rich one, young ruler comes to Jesus and he says, how can I inherit eternal life? And then he goes on and tells Jesus about all the commands that he's followed since he was a young man. And then Jesus replies by saying this, in Mark 10, Jesus looked him hard in the eye and loved him. And he said, there's one thing left. Go sell whatever you own and give it to the poor. All your wealth will then be heavenly wealth and come and follow me. The man's face clouded over. This was the last thing he expected to hear, and he walked off with a heavy heart. He was holding on tight to a lot of things and not about to let go. You know, for the rich young ruler, he wanted Jesus on his terms. He wanted to receive eternal life, 
He wanted that benefit, but then there were other areas of his life that he wanted to keep as his own. So he said, Jesus, you enter this part, this compartment, but these are my compartments that I'm going to control. And for this young man, the compartments that he wanted to retain control over were his money and his possessions. And Jesus could see right to the heart of the matter. That's the thing. Sometimes we think that we can like, you know, spruce it all up and Jesus don't know. But he does because he's God. And he sees right through it all. He sees right through all the bluff. He even sees right through all our tears where we're like, oh, Lord. He's like, no, 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 you're bluffing. He sees right to the heart of the matter. Was Jesus being harsh or hard? No. He says he looked at the man and he felt genuine love for him. He says he looked hard in his eye and he loved him. So Jesus was not asking this because he was trying to be harsh and hard. He loved the guy. But he could see that this man was going to get nowhere because actually he didn't want to make God first. He just wanted friendship benefits. Give me eternal life. I'll control the rest of my life. That's what he wanted. And often we come to Jesus with the same kind of list of things. And that's why this passage is mentioned. God doesn't want to be Lord over a certain area of our lives. He wants to be Lord over all of our life. He's not content with just some aspects. And in this passage, Jesus talks about letting go of earthly things and possessions. Why? Because he knows that where our heart is, that where our treasure is, that's where our heart will be also. Matthew 6 says this, No one can serve two masters, for you will hate one and love the other, or you will be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and be enslaved to money. God knows how much we struggle with this. He knows how much we find letting go in this area a big deal. That's why Jesus spoke more about money or possessions than any other thing. Actually, 12 out of the 38 parables are all to do with money and possessions. Billy Graham once pointed out, if a person gets their attitude towards money straight, it will help straighten out almost every other area of their lives. For whatever reason, we struggle. We all struggle with this thing concerning possessions and earthly things. We struggle to let go. And really, when you think about it, it's crazy. Because we're prepared to trust our spiritual life over to God. We're prepared to hand all of that to him and say, hey, I trust you with this. I trust you with my future. I trust you with what happens beyond the grave. But then day to day... We struggle to actually place our faith and trust in God to look after us. And it's wild because you look at it objectively and it doesn't make sense. We wonder why the struggle is. But the struggle is there because of sin, because of our fallen nature. And it's just one of these things that we've got to get over to be followers of Jesus. That's why giving is a really important part of our Christian walk. And when I say giving, I'm not talking about giving things to other people. That is part of our Christian walk. But the Bible says there's a list, isn't there? First love God, then love other people. So the first priority is our giving, but it's our giving to God. 
Are we willing to give up control in a certain area and honor him? Because our giving is an expression to God that we trust him, that we care for him, if we care that or we trust him to care for us in this present day. What does our giving look like? Well, the Bible talks about tithing. Dave and I never talk about this kind of stuff. You rarely hear us talk about this in church. But Jesus talked about it on the one thing. So today I'm going to just talk about it. The Bible talks about tithing, about honoring God with our tithe. And a tithe means 10%. Okay, that is what the word tithe means, 10%. And Proverbs 3.9 says this, Honour the Lord with your wealth and with the best part of everything you produce. Then he will fill your barns with grain and your vats will overflow with good wine. Honour the Lord with your wealth. Here's the thing. God could say, give me everything like he did to the rich young ruler. But actually, he doesn't in precedent say that to us. He doesn't say to follow me, you've got to sell everything and give it all to me. And then he doesn't say that. But the Bible does, the precedence in Bible scripture is that we honor God with the tithe. That we set aside the tithe. God could ask for any amount, but he asks for a tenth which isn't a lot really, is it? He actually gives us 90% to do with what we want. He's just saying, do you know what? Just take, take a section of what I give. And by the way, can you make it the best section, not the leftovers and the dregs? He says, give me the best. And when he says the best, it's like honor God first. So when you get your money in, be it a paycheck, be it your benefits, you don't allocate how you're going to spend it all. And then you say, right, this is what's left. Right, God, you can have that. It's like, no, when you get it in, you say, God, this is yours. And now, right, what am I going to do with the rest of it? That's what it means. Give God the first fruit. Give God that area. And when we do that, he says that we are actually honoring him. I remember learning to tithe from my parents and being in church from a young age. Pocket money I used to put my money in, first job. And you know, there's been time when I met Dave, there's been times where you think, can I afford to tithe? Can I afford to do this? I remember when we were getting married, I was not in work full time then because I was still struggling with glandular fever. And Dave and I were looking at how we were going to be able to afford to, um, to put a deposit down on a house. And in all honesty, we did the sums and the sums didn't look that promising. It didn't look as if we were going to have enough money for a deposit on the house. But we were like, do you know what? If we used our tithe and X, Y, Z, and then we were like, no. We are not going to do that. If God can't, if God can't do, God can do more with our 10% than what we can do with our 90%. And we made a choice. I remember we were walking in Judiga Park House Gardens and we were just like, no, God, we are going to honor you with this and we are going to trust you. And I can honestly say from place choosing for 30 odd years to tithe and take 10% and honor God with it, I can honestly say that for my 
and mine and Dave's lives, we have continued to walk in the blessing of God all the time. Do you know what? When you honor God with your tithe, it's like you, you're letting him into every part of your life. And I find that he's interested in the big and the small. I go to the supermarket and I'm like, God, please, let, please help me get bargains today so that I don't have to spend so much on food. Please help me. And literally, I, I kid you not, the amount of times I go into the supermarket and the things that I'm going on for either end up on sale or they end up in the reduced aisle. And I'm like, thank you, Jesus. I look at the holidays we go on. People get dumbfounded when we know how much we spend on our holidays. We once went on a 16-night holiday in France. We did France, Paris. We did the Alps. We did the south of France. We went over to, um, to Spain. 450 pounds. People say, how do you do it? And I'm like, I just pray. And I'm like, Jesus, help me. I can remember when we were looking to go on holiday to Florida and I got this price for eight of us and it was like 5,000 pounds and that was, it's a lot of money but it's a really good price for um, the, the holiday and I went into the travel agents and I said, is this a good price? And they were like, you need to book that now. Is it with a reputable dealer? I said, well, it's with Virgin Holidays. They said, you need to book that now. That holiday should be about 12,000 pounds. I do not know how you are getting that quote. So I was like, oh, oh, okay. So I went home and I'm like, oh, I think I've got a good deal. So, but then I still wasn't sure. And I said, oh Lord, if this really is of you, can it go down in price tomorrow? Just so that I know. I was one on the internet the next day. It went down by another 500 pounds. I was like, Lord, thank you so much for doing that. I look at the houses we've lived in. We've only lived in two. We haven't lived in many. But the houses that we've lived in have miracles attached to them because of the goodness of God. So I want to encourage you today that there is a blessing in tithing. When you tithe, you're actually saying, God, I'm not going to try and be in control of this. I'm going to be wise, but I'm going to trust you to care for me in the big and in the small. Three proclamations we make when we trust God. Firstly, when, um, with our giving, firstly, we are showing God that we are thankful. We are showing him that we recognize what he has done for us in our lives. We are recognizing that he has given his life for us. And we can't help but say, thank you, Jesus, for what you've done. We see this in Deuteronomy 26. It says this, when the, uh, the, the children of Israel, when you enter the land, the Lord your God is giving you as a special possession. And you have conquered it and settled there. Put some of the first produce of each crop you harvest into a basket and bring it to the designated place of worship, the place the Lord your God chooses for his name to be honored. The children of Israel did that. When they entered into the promised land, they wanted to say thank you to God for what he had done for their lives. And they took a part of their harvest as a way of honoring and as a way of saying thank you. Well, do you know what? Because of what Jesus did for us, we all have entered into the promised land, hey, of what God has provided. And so when we give, it is a declaration of our worship to God to say, God, well, thank you. Thank you for what you've done. I just have to say thank you and honor your name because you are so good. So when we tithe, it comes from a heart of thanksgiving and a heart of thankfulness. Do you know what as well? When we tithe, it shows that we are prioritizing the house of God. Tithing's really practical. It helps in the building of his church, hey? 
if the and he lays that at the feet of his followers to give you look at the building that we we are in you look at the seats that we are sat on you look at the amazing provisions that we've got for our kids and youth we look at the outreach that we have none of this would be possible without the faithful dedication and tithe that comes from you you have enabled this church to have this building, to be able to do the things that we do. That comes because of faithful giving and, and of the family. And that's the thing about when we ask Jesus into our lives, we become part of his family. So we're in two families then. We've got like our earthly family and then we've got the family of God. And we get to take responsibility to care and nurture for our heavenly family as well, our family of God. God. And our tithe does that. It helps to build the house of God strong. And we are so blessed to see the faithfulness day in, day out, week in, week out, in the pandemic, out of the pandemic, the faithfulness of God's people in prioritizing to build God's house to be strong. And the third proclamation that we make when we give to God is that we are showing that we put God first. That's what God was looking for in this rich young ruler. Was he prepared to put God first? And our money, because we work hard for it, it requires our effort and our labor. When we say, do you know what? I've worked hard for this, but Lord, I recognize that you've given me the ability to do this job. You've given me this. And I recognize because of you that I'm going to give this tithe because I want to put you first. I don't want money to have me. I don't want money to control me. I don't want me to be consumed with it. But Lord, I want to hand it to you. And I know that as I hand it to you, that you promise that you'll have my back covered. You promise that you'll look after me as I honor you. You will look after me. In Matthew 6, it says, so don't worry about these things saying, what will we eat? What will we drink? What will we wear? These things dominate the thoughts of unbelievers, but your heavenly father already knows all your needs. So seek first the kingdom of God. Put what he says to prioritize first, hey, above all else and live righteously and he will give you everything you need. I think we could go around this room and speak to countless people who have testimonies of how, as they've chosen to honor God with their tithe, they've seen God do amazing things in their lives. They've seen God provide more than you could ever imagine. But what blows my mind in our giving is that as God promises to give to us, he also gives us not just enough for our needs. He gives us enough to meet the needs of other people as well. 2 Corinthians 9 says this, remember this, a farmer who plants only a few seeds will get a small crop, but the one who plants generously will get a generous crop. We must each decide in your own heart how much to give and don't give reluctantly or in response to pressure for God loves a person who gives cheerfully and God will generously provide all you need. Then you will always have everything you need and plenty left over to share with others. As the scriptures say, they share freely and give generously to the 
poor. Their good deeds will be remembered forever. For God is the one who provides seed for the farmer and then bread to eat. In the same way, he will provide and increase your resources and then produce a great harvest of generosity within you. How amazing is that? We give to God. We honor God. God says, do you know what? Because you've placed me first, watch what I'll do. But hey, I'm not going to just meet your needs. I'm going to give you enough to be generous and bless and reach other people. And we've seen that. That's the history of Jesus cares. Like I haven't got time to say, but that's how Jesus cares started was with a tiny seed. Lord Jesus, we want to do something to help. Try. He showed us what to do. And bam, Jesus cares started. Small seeds planted. But God does amazing things. So I want to encourage every one of us as followers of Jesus to do as Jesus says, to place him first. And the way we can do that is to honor him with our giving. And finally, I want us to look at when Jesus went to visit two of his friends, two sisters, Mary and Martha. In Luke 10, 38, it says this. As Jesus and the disciples continued on their way to Jerusalem, they came to a certain village where a woman named Martha welcomed him into her home. His sister Mary was sat at the Lord's feet, listening to what he taught. But Martha was distracted by the big dinner she was preparing. She came to Jesus and said, said, Lord, doesn't it seem unfair to you that my sister just sits here while I do all the work? Tell her to come and help me. But the Lord said to her, my dear Martha, you are worried and upset over all these details. There is only one thing worth being concerned about. Mary has discovered it and it will not be taken from her. What is the scene that we're being let into that day? Well, Jesus was at Mary and Martha's home, and Martha was so caught up in other things that she actually missed being with Jesus, and that made her frustrated. She felt shortchanged by the fact that she wasn't there. And in contrast, Mary realized that there was lots of things she could be attending to, lots of things that could distract and grab her attention. But Jesus had come to her home. And that there was nothing more important for her than simply being with Jesus, sitting at his feet, listening to him. What did he have to say? And at the heart of this story is really our fifth point. As follower of Jesus, it's all about priorities. You know, in life, there seems often to be lots of things that we need to do when we try to juggle and attend to it all. But there's some times where we just have to make a choice. Dr. Caroline Leaf in her book, Switch on Your Brain, says this. Some people believe that they can do many things at the same time, like listening to music and reading, cooking and talking on the phone, playing games and watching TV. But all of these things is too much information. That is why people are not sleeping well and feeling depressed. Science has proved that multitasking is a persistent myth. Paying deep, focused attention to one task at a time is the correct way. When you do two things at the same time, it results in two bad things. Firstly, we won't devote as much focused attention as we should to the specific task or piece of information. And secondly, we sacrifice the quality of our attention. 
Martha was trying to multitask that day. And she ended up feeling really shortchanged, really frustrated, really angry at her sister. And it was because her sister chose a different priority. Yes, we needed feeding, but actually Jesus was in her home. And she just wanted to be with him. And I think what we see in Martha's, um, in Mary's position is we see what God loves to see in us. He, she chose a position of sitting at his feet. What does that show? Undivided attention. She sat there at his feet. She didn't sit in the corner of the room being distracted by the goings on of everyone else. No, I want to be right there. I want to be at his feet. I want, to, I want to be with him. If he says something, I want to know what it is. Her stature, her posture showed her openness to receive what Jesus was going to say that day. You see, Jesus and Martha was concerned about many things. But Jesus said that Mary had just one concern for one thing. And that was that Jesus was in the room. Being in the same house as Jesus wasn't enough. Being at his feet was where it was at. What do we learn from this story? We learn this, that life doesn't automatically arrange itself into proper priorities. That's our decision to make. We all have choices to make in terms of what we prioritize. And there's lots of things in our lives that can cause us to be distracted. But we have, we are in control of our time. And we have to make good choices. You know, sometimes we think, oh, well, you know, it's fine. I'll just put on the, the Bible in the background and I'll carry on doing this. Yeah, you might get a bit of it. But there's nothing like sitting at the feet of Jesus. Multitasking isn't gonna get us to a place of deep connection with Jesus. It's actually saying, do you know what? I'm setting time aside. Jesus promises to always be in the room. He is always in the room, but sometimes we just have to make the priority to stop and sit and say, Lord, what is it? What is it? Some practical hints and tips. When you go to read your Bible, leave your phone in another room. So you just don't get distracted. Try and find a quiet place to think. Try and find it. Take time. Take time because do you know what? When we make time and prioritize to be at the feet of Jesus, we'll never go away feeling shortchanged. We'll always go away feeling strengthened, filled with hope. Worry and anxiety, it melts in the presence of Jesus. When we gaze like David, we gaze on his beauty. We see all these cares of the world, but they just grow strangely dim when we look at Jesus. Heavy hearts lift when we're at the feet of Jesus. And you know, that really is, you know, what it's all about, isn't it? Being a follower, being close to him. I think this psalm in Psalm 16 kind of sums up what it is to be a follower of Jesus. We've looked at those five points today, but I think this beautifully sums up what our life looks like as followers. You will show me the way of life, granting me 
the joy of your presence and the pleasures of living with you forever. He's shown us his way. He's granted access into his presence for us to experience that joy. And we have the pleasure as followers of Jesus of living the new life that Jesus has set out for us today and for each day of our lives. So as followers of Jesus, it's an exciting journey. And I'm so thankful that God gives us things to show us what it means to be a follower of him. They're exciting things. They help direct our attention. We need that. We need guidance and direction. And that's what the word of God does. It guides us. It directs us. It refocuses us. It challenges us. So in, cons in, in light of our priorities, in light of our obedience, in light of our desires, in light of our convictions, and in light of our focus, God's got clear things to say to help us so that we can really follow after him with all of our heart and we can go after him and experience all that God has for us. Amen. I'm going to pray for us today and I'm going to pray. You know, you may be in the room today. The worship team can come up now. You may be in the room today. And maybe you've never asked Jesus into your life. And you look at your life and you think, do you know what? Yeah, I've got degrees of success. Yes, I've got, you know, there's things that I'm pleased with about my life. But also there's areas where it just, it feels empty. Do you know what? Jesus never created us to do life alone. He created life for him to be at the center of it. And today, this may be your day of choosing, God, I want you to be at the center. I'm fed up of trying to do things my way. I'm fed up of trying to control everything. I don't know the end from the beginning. I need somebody who does know, and that's you. So if you're in this place, or what, maybe you're watching today online, and you're like, do you know what? I need you, Jesus. I need a purpose. I need to sense your love and your forgiveness for my life. Then why don't you pray this simple prayer after me and say, Jesus, thank you for loving me so much that you were prepared to die on the cross so that I could be forgiven of my sins. I ask you today to come and live in my life. I want a new start. I want to be a new person. I want to be the person that you've um, created me to be. So I ask you today to come and live inside of me. I ask you to be Lord of my life. Amen. You know, if you prayed that prayer, you've honestly made the best decision of your life. And our advice to you would be to just keep coming back to church. We've got Bibles at the back. We'd love to give you if you haven't got one. Start to read it. Start to ask people in church about it. And you'll be amazed at what God is going to do. And also, I just want to pray for each one of us as followers of Jesus. We're on an exciting journey as followers. And I love that God helps us. He wants to lead us on a path. He illuminates a path for us with his word, doesn't it? Your word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto our path. His word illuminates the way forward for us because often it's easy for us to go off on tangents and his word just directs us and gives us focus. So Lord Jesus, thank you that you have found us all. You have chosen us and called us your 
your children, your family. Lord, thank you that we have the privilege to be your followers. And Lord, thank you. Your word shows to us so clearly what it means to be a follower. What a privilege it is to be your follower, to follow in your footsteps, to become more like you, Jesus. And Lord, we thank you that each day you are conforming us to your image. Each day we are becoming more like you. And Lord, we pray that you would help us prioritize. Lord, we pray that you would help us. Lord, we pray that we would be obedient to you. Lord, we pray that you would give us boldness of conviction. Lord, we thank you, Lord, that you will show us how to focus our thoughts and our mind and our attention. Lord, we thank you that you will give us that desire to want to know all that we can about you because we love you so much. So, Lord, thank you for what you're doing in our lives. Thank you that we're going from glory to glory, from strength to strength. And, Lord, we just pray for each of our lives that we will continue to see what you are doing in us, continue to work out in our lives in Jesus' name. And everyone said... Amen. God bless you.